All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Kings chapter number 18. 1 Kings chapter number 18. I love that song. That's a good song. He's a wonderful Savior to me. We're going through the life and character, really, of uh, Elijah as we study this on Sunday mornings. And we'll continue our study in, in the life of Elijah. I hope and pray it's been a blessing to you. I've enjoyed it. This morning we're covering a passage that is so filled with so much information that really uh, there's no way we could cover every uh, thing that is here. But it's so good. Uh, we'll, certainly, we'll certainly cover much of it. First uh, Kings chapter number 18 and we are down to the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And I know many, uh, I, I'm sure most kids' Sunday school lessons cover this portion of, of the life of Elijah. And perhaps this is one of the, uh, one, the primary passage, really, of Elijah that, that, or Elijah that they cover uh, because it is an exciting and dynamic portion of Scripture. 1 Kings chapter number 18 and verse number 21, he has already gone and, and shown himself to King Ahab, and, uh, and he has told King Ahab to gather all the prophets of Baal together. So we'll pick it up there in verse number 21, and he says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And, if the, and the people answered him, not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. Call ye on the name of, the, of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many. And call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning, uh, from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets until the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass, when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. And there was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you. 
for your goodness to us. We thank you for this passage of Scripture that we can study, God, we can look to, and God, there is so much information packed in your Word. Of, in your word. And God, we're thankful, we're grateful to have a copy of your Word with us this morning and that we can read, that we can study. God, I pray that you would uh, bless our study this morning. I pray, Father, that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would encourage, strengthen, and help each and every Christian and every believer that's here this morning. And God, will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We stopped just prior to the exciting part, really, uh, when, when uh, they, then Elijah gets up and he does pray. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what happens, all right? We'll get to that. All right? I'll leave you on a cliffhanger there in case you don't know. Uh, but there were 450 prophets of Baal present that day. And uh, that's a large group of people. And all Israel was really invited uh, to, and called to see this great spectacle. Now, there was no TV in their day. I mean, they weren't going to be like, well, I don't, I don't feel, you know what, it's hot and humid and I don't feel like going out. Uh, well, in their case, it was probably hot and dry because there had been no rain for three years. And, and, uh, and so I'm thinking, well, it's hot or uh, I don't feel like going out or uh, whatever. No, there was no TV. They weren't sitting home uh, on their social media, seeing well, the latest Twitter or Facebook or uh, whatever, whatever social media. Uh, they found out that, hey, there was an event going on. And I tell you what, those people were like, man, we're going to see this. You remember Elijah, that prophet that was here three years ago? And, uh, and he told the king that it wasn't going to rain for till he said so. And then he disappeared and nobody could find him. He's back. Man, you got to see this, what's going on. And, and he's called all the prophets of Baal together. And, and surely this is going to be an exciting event. And you could, you could just see and feel the excitement of all of Israel as they would gather to find out what's going on. Mark, Mark, Mount Carmel kind of rises up from the Mediterranean Sea and it sets uh, above uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was 500 feet above sea level, quite a bit. Not super high, but high enough you could see and you could gather around it. Uh, it would be like a great big stage, a natural platform for this to take, take part in. And uh, uh, so they were all gathered and you could kind of imagine these people coming out to sea and saying, man, I wonder what's going to happen and what's going on. Now I want you to notice in the lesson this morning, the wavering is what it's called, the wavering uh, of the people. We'll notice right in the, the beginning of our text, the Bible says here in, in verse number 21, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? And, uh, and he asks that question. And, uh, and so we see that Israel, all of Israel, is really wavering on what they're going to do. Are they going to, they're going to continue following Baal as they had for the past three years? And even before that, that is what caused the drought, was Baal worship that was going on there in the country. And, uh, and there was a great concern about that. Now I want you to notice the, uh, the preliminaries to this contest that's about to go down. First of all, there's an indictment that he sets up in verse 21. He says, how long halt ye between two opinions? And what does the word halt mean? Uh, we know, obviously, it does mean to stop. Uh, but what does it mean exactly? It means to stop walking, to hold. Or the third definition is to hesitate, 
to stand in doubt whether to proceed. And so here they are between two different avenues of thought. If you've ever come to a Y in the road, and uh, man, I hate those because usually they come up at, uh, uh, at a high rate of speed and you're like, uh, which way do I go? And somebody says right or left. And then I have to stop and think which one's right, which one's left. And I get it all confused. And undoubtedly, I'm going to go the wrong direction no matter what. And everyone's like, well, go the opposite of what you think. It still comes out wrong. Um, and so, so you're halting between two opinions is, is coming up to where those road, that road is going to Y off and, and making a decision in your life and saying, do I want to go this way or do I want to go this way? And this way certainly appeals to everything and, and it looks like a better path. And this way feels like it's the right direction and probably is the right direction. But there's so much uh, glamour and so much appeal to this direction that it makes it hard. And the people are at a standstill of which way to go. You know, when you come to that deciding factor, you are no longer continuing forward on your journey, but you are stalled and not going anywhere. And we find that is the case of Israel. And that is the exact reason that God has sent judgment into Israel, because they are not carrying forward with God. They're waffling on which way to go. They're no longer walking with God. They're waffling on following Baal. Baal worship was instituted. The government had ordained it and said, hey, this is what we're going to worship. They brought in priests of Baal and set up temples of Baal and cast down the altars of God. And it became a real stumbling block and a problem for the people. And, uh, and some, of the, uh, some of that is, is the character of halting. Uh, someone who halts wants the benefit of both worlds. They, they want the benefit of living a worldly life, but they want the same benefit of calling themselves a Christian and saying, I'm okay with God. Boy, that's a lot of the people today. They, they want to do whatever their flesh desires to do, and, and they're halting between two opinions. They're struggling in their Christian life because they cannot decide, am I wholeheartedly going to go down the path with God, or am I going to stand here and say, man, I, I think I want to go the flesh way today. And tomorrow I'll go down the path of God. And the next day I'll go down the flesh day. And, and, and it's back and it's forth. And there's no progress made in their spiritual journey because they are halting between two opinions. That's where Israel is. And that's where Elijah calls them out and says, How long are you willing to halt on these two Two, uh, two opinions. Notice this, not only the character of halting and someone that's not going forward and is looking to pull the benefits from both sides, but the condemnation of halting. He says there in verse number 21, if the Lord be God, follow Him. Boy, we got to let go of all worldly things. He's telling them, let go of Baal. Let go of this wicked worship. Let go of uh, the things that are, are worldly and wholeheartedly go down the path for God. That's what he's telling them. 
If God be, if the Lord be God, then follow him. Why are you standing there trying to figure out, well, do we really want to be Baal worshipers or do we want to follow God? Well, there's some things about Baal worship that I like that appeal to the flesh and, and they're really good and, and, uh, and they're, they're logically running through all of this. But the reality is God is God. And we need to completely follow him. That's, a, that's the same principle, same idea that people struggle with in 2022. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is, of course, riches. And he's saying you cannot follow both of those things. Uh, and that's just another form of another God. Not only that, but in Revelations 3.16, there is a message that God is giving to the church. And he says, So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. In other words, God condemns lukewarmness. God condemns the halting between two opinions and saying, Boy, do I want to go this route? Or do I want to follow God in my life? And God wants us to follow Him. Not only that, but I want you to notice not only the character, the, the condemnation of, of, of halting between two opinions, but the consequences of halting. Look at what he says there in verse 21. He asks, let's read it again. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Look at what they said. And the people answered him not a word. They, they couldn't say anything. You know why? Because they were still halting. They, 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 in their mind, it had not been decided uh, if Baal was God or if God was actually God. And in their mind, they, it was not settled. It was still up, on, up in the air on what they were going to do. So they could not say, we're going to follow God. And yet they could not say, we're going to follow Baal. And their indecisiveness became a problem and a, a consequence to them that they could not speak. They could, there was nothing that they could say because they knew they were wrong and just standing and trying to walk the fence, and trying to straddle both sides of this issue, and trying to be God's chosen people, but yet following a different religion in their life. And so there was an indictment uh, to this crowd that Elijah very clearly laid out how long are they going to halt between two opinions. Uh, look with me as the, uh, the introduction of the contest there in verse number 20. Uh, let's go with verse 22. Then said Elijah unto the prophet, unto the people, excuse me, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no, no fire under and call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. 
So here we have uh, a, a competition that is laid forth. And, and uh, they're about to see that. And he gives introduction. And, and I want you to notice that uh, it was a necessary competition. Why? Because Israel had wandered from God. This was God's chosen people. And the Bible says that uh, a sign uh, was for the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, you read through the Old Testament, you see signs and wonders and miracles and all kinds of things that God did in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. Why? Because Israel required signs. The Bible says that. You also need to know they did not have the completed Word of God like we do. And so there were all kinds of signs. God made it very clear, very evident to these people that they were His chosen people, that He had given them a promised land, and He had told them, hey, you are to follow Me. It was stated emphatically over and over and over again. And here we find that they are wandering off and following another God. So this, this contest was necessary. Because of their wandering. This contest was necessary uh, because it would glorify God. Elijah is very clear. He says, hey, if Baal is God, then follow him. But if God, Jehovah is God, if the Lord be God, then follow him. And he was very clear in that. Uh, Elijah was very bold. He was not fearful uh, because Elijah knew, hey, Baal was a false god. He knew there was nothing real there. He knew that Jehovah, the Lord God, had, had taken care of him while the, the brook was drying up there at Cherith, while he was in Zarephath with that widow woman. He had a great past history to go on to know emphatically that God would take care of him. And so he's bold in standing before the people and saying, hey, you need to understand that this is God we're talking about. And it was necessary because... God had stated it. We didn't read this verse, but all the way at the end of verse number 36, uh, Elijah says this. He says, I have done all these things at thy work. I believe God put him up to this. I don't think Elijah just said, man, I'm going to set up a, a competition uh, before, before God and before Baal. I, I think the Lord set all of that up and ordained it and said, hey, Elijah, this is what I want you to do. And Elijah was acting not on impulse, not on just a, a whim, but rather on the word of the Lord. And that's important to see and understand because he says, I've done all these things according to the word of God. And not only that, but there's a necessity of sacrifice. Boy, we see that in, in this chapter as they both have a bullock. And, uh, and so that's something important. Hey, listen, it takes sacrifice to get to God. And they show that over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. So we see all the preliminaries of the contest that is about to take place. I want you to notice the proclamation of this contest. Look with me in verse number 24. The Bible says, And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. This is the main proclamation of this entire contest, is, is to prove definitively, once and for all, not that it hasn't been proven already so many times in the past, but to prove to these people in their lifetimes uh, who it is that is God. 
And so uh, this is set up, and it was very clear, it was very easy to understand, and, uh, and it would be proclaimed very clearly. And in this proclamation, uh, in this, this uh, competition that was about to ensue and take place, uh, obviously there's some other things that become very clear as well. I want you to notice the distinctives of, of Baal worship that are noted here in this passage. We'll just pull a few of them out. Look with me in verse number 24. Well, actually, let's go back uh, to verse... I didn't note it down. Verse 22. Then Elijah said unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. I want you to notice the representation that the Baal worship had, number one, it, it, was, it was backed by the government. Ahab and Jezebel had set up Baal worship in Israel and, and, and just, just um, protected it and allowed it to prosper and allowed it to grow and, and, and granted them uh, all kinds of help and, and, uh, and even condemned uh, sacrifices to God and, and broke down the, uh, the, the, sac- or the altars rather that had been built. And so uh, the government had backed the religion. When I was in Peru, um, one of the things that came up a few times was how that uh, the Catholic Church didn't have to pay water bills, didn't have to pay electric bills, didn't have to pay this and that and all these other things. And I thought, well, I wonder if we could apply for that. No, that ain't happening. Um, and, and that's just the way it is when you have a government that backs a religion, uh, whether good or bad. Uh, in this case, it would be bad. And, and, and so uh, it's like they have all the backing. They have all the help there. Not only that, but there were 450 prophets that were gathered on Mount Carmel that day against Elijah, one prophet. And so, boy, you're looking at it and you're like, man, yeah, I mean, if, if this is a ball game, man, I'm rooting for Baal because, no, actually, I like the underdog, so I'm going to root for Elijah, but, but I'm thinking, man, this, this is not going to end well. This is going to be a landslide competition. If you're thinking like that, I mean, if you're looking at raw numbers, they got the government backing. They have 450 prophets against just Elijah that's on this side. Not only that, but the majority of the crowd of Israel The Bible says in chapter 19 and verse number 18 that 7,000 people had not bowed the knee to Baal. But you understand that is a minority in all of Israel amongst millions of people. And I'm just saying that uh, that 7,000 was a small drop in the bucket of the amount of people that were there in Israel. They had a very strong representation in the country. It was more than just a foothold. It was a majority in the nation of Israel, and it was a big problem. Not only that, but I want you to notice their dissimulation. Uh, Here Elijah told them in verse um, verse number 23... He says, let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under. He says the same thing for himself there the second time in that same verse. Look down verse number 25. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first for ye are many and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. 
The priests of Baal were, uh, were notorious and noted for having sn to, to sneak fire under their sacrifices uh, time and time again throughout their worship. And, uh, and so uh, this was something that was normal for them. And, uh, and so he's very clear on telling them two separate occasions, hey, don't put fire under your sacrifice. There's no fire. And listen, uh, it's notable about many religions about the false fires that they try to burn. Hey, fire in the Bible, uh, what about the false fires or the wrong fires that were brought and presented to the temple and God had to judge them because they presented strange fire, the Bible calls it. And, uh, and boy, even amongst uh, many religions, there's so many things that are, are, are uh, false fires that they burn that are a similitude of what God has set up and what God has instituted and, and put up. And I'm just saying that, listen, the devil is a great deceiver. Well, I was talking to somebody the other day, and uh, we were talking about the book of Revelation. And, and I said, well, whatever God sets up and does... I said the devil simulates it uh, in the same way, the Trinity. Uh, and then the devil sets up his unholy Trinity, and he has Satan himself and the dragon and then the, the false prophet, and there are those three. And, and he's constantly setting up uh, the, a similar thing to what God does, and the same thing is true in religion. Not only the, the representation that they had, the dissimulation that they had, but I want you to notice the dedication. Now, I'll be honest, I'll be frank with you, I wish we had the dedication that it's half of these false religions had. Honestly, uh, you look at the dedication of these false Baal worshipers. You look at what they did. The Bible says there, uh, in verse number 26, look with me. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. Listen, they started in the morning, and they went till noon calling and praying and saying, Hey, Baal, send us fire uh, and, and consume this sacrifice. And you think about that. I don't know what time they started. Let's just say 8 o'clock. Uh, that would be 4 hours. And, and when that didn't happen, uh, at noon, they, man, they got up and they started leaping on the altar. And, and you could kind of picture them as they're trying to really do everything that they can and, and jump up there. And you think they're about to send, they're, they're calling fire down. And, and here they are standing on the altar where the fire is to be called down. I don't know if it's self-sacrifice or, you know, I'm this serious about it as a show, but you can tell this, that those prophets of Baal were dedicated to this competition. They were not walking away without any effort. They put their all into this saying, hey, we have got to see some results here. Not only that, but look with me. And of course, I, well, we'll read verse 27 because I kind of like Elijah's, I like Elijah's mocking here. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure, I love this one, he sleepeth and must be awaked. And Elijah is really mocking the God of Baal and that he is not like Jehovah God and that he would not need sleep or he is never occupied or too busy for one of his children. Look at verse number 28. 
And they cried aloud and cut themselves after the manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. That's pretty serious. And listen, many false pagan religions are, have very cruel practices. Um, this is one of them, cutting themselves. This was not uh, something new to Baal worship. It was something that had been incorporated in Baal worship. And, and for somebody to cut themselves, and for somebody to, uh, listen, there's many other pagan religions where they would offer their very own children. Uh, I remember a missionary talking about India, throwing their very babies, their own babies, into a river as a sacrifice to the gods. And what I'm saying is, these people were dedicated. They were cutting themselves. They were calling from four to six hours. Matter of fact, if you go on and read through that, uh, it says in verse number 29, and it came to pass when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. It was more than just four hours. We're talking four, six, eight. We don't know exactly how much time, but they the entire time were trying to get fire brought down from Baal. And it was not without effort. They put in a lot of dedication and, uh, and, and they were serious about all of this. Those are some of the distinctives of Baal worship. But I want you to notice some of the distinctives of God's worship. Look with me in verse number 30. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. Hey, there's an invitation from God in which God is calling, Hey, come near unto me. Hey, come see the worship. What, what, a, what a great uh, invitation that God gives. And, and He says, and He invites all people to come and, and be a part of His worship. There was honesty. There was grace there that Elijah was saying, hey, we want you to see. We want you to get a good view. So come a little closer. We want you to inspect and search and know what is going on is from God and not from man. And there's no trickery involved in this. So get a little closer and inspect the very grace of God. There's an invitation there. Not only that, but look at verse number 30. I love this. The Bible says in verse number 30, And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Boy, there's a whole message there in the restoration of that altar. The altar represents communion with God. I've said this before, uh, and listen, we don't have sacrifices, but this is the altar that we call it. An invitation time. Hey, we invite people to come and, and kneel on the altar and pray. What, what is it? It represents communion to God and talking with God. The fact that this altar had been broken down tells us, hey, there was no communion between God and Israel. It had been broken down. They had let it go. They were no longer communing with God. Uh, and not only that, but the construction of it. Uh, he takes 12 stones and he repairs it. Listen, that's very symbolic for Israel, 12 uh, tribes that were there. And, uh, and he rebuilds it. Look with me in verse number, uh, I believe it's 32. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And so not only did he repair the altar, but he repaired it in the name of the Lord. Hey, listen, 
Uh, he didn't repair it in Elijah's name and say, hey, I'm setting this altar up for Elijah. No, he said, I'm setting this altar up for God. And we're going to worship God. Not only that, but the, uh, the contents that were there at the altar. A bullock uh, is a sin offering. Look at verse number 33 as well. Not only the bullock that he gave, uh, but verse 33, and he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. I want you to notice the order. Elijah just didn't, didn't just get the wood and chuck it up there. My dad, we, we used to have wood. Uh, we had a wood stove to heat in the winter in upstate New York. And um, all summer long, my dad would come home with uh, a bunch of wood in the back of the car. He'd unload it. Uh, he, had, he had the only Oldsmobile truck that ever existed. They didn't make a truck, if you know anything about cars. But my dad put truck springs on our Oldsmobile station wagon and he'd lay that seat down and he'd load that thing with wood like it was a truck. And so we claimed it was the Oldsmobile truck, the only one that ever existed. And he'd come home and, and unload that wood and man, we'd have, to, we'd have to cut it and we'd have to split it and after that, we would have to stack it. Now when we unloaded it, man, it just was in a big old pile in the yard. And he'd tell us, hey, you cut that up, split it up, and I want it stacked right there and he'd tell us where to stack it. And, uh, and, and we go out and stack it, and, and my dad come out and look at that wood pile. He said, no, no, you take that all down, you redo that. I'm like, are you kidding me? He said, you put no effort in it. He said, I want that wood straight. He said, when that wood pile's done, it's not to be leaning forward, it's not to be leaning backward. He said, it's to be straight up. You ever try and make a wood pile straight out of a bunch of crooked pieces of wood that you split and cut? It does not go very straight. But he's like, you make, I don't care how you do it, you make that wood pile straight. Man, we'd have to work at it and lay that wood, and you'd have, it's like putting a puzzle together. And I don't even like puzzles, but it was like putting a puzzle, you had to twist them right, and, and la that, that, one's, that one's bigger on this end, so let's stick that one in, and that one's smaller on the other end, so let's flip it around and make it match so that it, it lays straight. And we had to lay that wood pile straight. My dad was particular about having our wood pile, that it would be straight and it wouldn't fall over. He said, you ought to be able to put a wood pile in the middle of a field and not have it fall over all winter long. That's how my dad thought. And I learned that that is possible. You can't do that. So we put that wood. But listen, Elijah, he put all that wood in order. He didn't just throw it on the altar. Hey, hey listen, God likes, I, I love the detail in the word of God. He likes things done decently and in order. He tells us that in the New Testament. He shows us that throughout the entire Old Testament, the detail and the order that God puts into all the service. You go back and you reread Exodus, and you reread Leviticus, and you reread all of the laws of the Old Testament. And God is very particular about every detail that He gives them in building the temple, in offering the sacrifices, in how to take care of things. We have a God of detail, and Elijah is paying attention to that detail as he lays the wood up there in order. No doubt, he takes the, uh, the bullock and he cuts it up according to God's specifications of how God would have this, this sin offering be offered. And God does everything decently and in order. 
I want you to notice the saturation in verse 33. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid, on, and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trenches also with water. This thing was saturated. Now, if you know anything about starting a fire, you do not want your wood wet at all. You don't have wet. Well, you don't start a fire with wet wood. But listen, Elijah was more more concerned with showing that it was God. I thought, what about this? And my, the bottom of my Bible I have written, water was the most precious thing they had after three years of drought. Where'd they get all that water? I mean, they were, they were, they, you remember last time? They were wandering around looking for grass so that they could feed their animals because they were going to die. There was no water in Israel. Uh, and here they are taking water, uh, one of the most precious things, and offering it as a sacrifice to God. Boy, we ought to give our most precious stuff to God. They gave it to Him. And God's power was on full display. I love this in verse number uh, 36. Look with me there. And it came to pass, mark this, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Hey, God has times that He expects sacrifices, that He expects offering, that He expects our worship. And listen, it was no different. I'm sure Elijah knew. I'm sure, hey, you know what? You pick your bullock. Both of them are, are perfect. They're clean according to God's specifications. And, and why don't you guys go first? Elijah, thinking, I know when God's sacrifice time is. I'll give you all the time. I'll give you 10 hours if you want. And up until the evening sacrifice. And once you've had a fair shot, man, I only need five minutes to show who God is at the right time. And so the timing. God has times that He specifies that we're to worship Him. Look at verse number 36 and 37. He says, uh, at the time of, uh, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day. Look at the three things that he wants to, it to be known. That thou art God in Israel, that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Listen, Elijah was very concerned that they would know who God is first and foremost. Secondly, he wanted them to know that he was following God and not operating in and of himself. Thirdly, he wanted them to note that, uh, that he had done all of those things according to God's word. Listen, may the world look at us and may they see uh, first and foremost God through us. And may they understand that we're following God. And may they understand that we're following the word of God in our life. Boy, what a great thing that he prayed. Then he prays for revival in verse number 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. 
We see the fire in verse 38, the fullness, it consumed everything. Let's read that. The Bible says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones of, and the dust, and I love this last phrase, and licked up the water that was in the trench. Boy, the detail of the Word of God. Man, I could just see the flame as it fell from heaven and it just consumed it. But I could just see God making a point to show one little glass of flame going down to the trench and just swiping up the water that was laying in that trench so that every part of that sacrifice, every part of that wood, and every drop of water that had been poured onto that was absolutely gone and the altar was left completely clean. Man, what an incredible sight. And here they are to witness all of that. Boy, that, that really makes Baal worship pale in comparison. I mean, you see their dedication, but boy, you see the work of God. What an amazing thing. And I want you to notice the persuasion that takes place, the exaltation of God. He's exalted because... The fire fell. Look at verse number 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. It was very clear. They de declared that God is God. And they knew that. They saw that. They witnessed it. Can I tell you this? Not only the declaration, but the delayed declaration. Listen, if they had said that three years ago, they wouldn't have been in the state they were in. The nation of Israel was suffering. You understand that the, the, the problems that they had that brought upon themselves because there was no water, surely without a doubt their, uh, their herds were dying off. Surely, without a doubt, they were rationing their own food to what they could eat and cutting back to maybe just two meals a day, maybe just one meal a day, and saying, we've got to be careful, there's not enough food, the plants are not growing, there's no water, and there's nothing we can do. Hey, listen, if they had just praised God and declared that He was God three years ago, they wouldn't have been in this problem that they were in. But that's not the case. And so we see the exaltation of God and the declaration that they made, but we see the delay and, and how it brought severe hardship into their life. And I want you to notice as well in verse number 40, And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. We see the execution of evildoers. Listen, some people think, well, that, boy, that's pretty harsh. Well, listen, it's what God demanded. It's God's land and it's God's law. This is the nation of Israel. They were not living in the United States of America. Matter of fact, look at what God had declared. Go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Save your spot here. I want you to see this in the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse number 5. We're talking about God's law, God's land, and what, what God had set forth as order in His land. Deuteronomy 13, 5. He's talking about prophets and false prophets and look at what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 13 verse number 5 
And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. God had commanded Hey, listen, if a prophet is coming along and he is, he is changing the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. He had promised a land to them. He had given them the law in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Exodus and said, hey, follow these laws. And they did not follow these laws. And when a prophet would come in and turn them away from that and turn them to Baal worship, then God said, hey, that prophet is to die. Don't allow that to go on in Israel. And so God had already ordained that in Deuteronomy. And so it was following God's law that he had already put forth. And we see that, uh, that, that hey, that was, to, that was to keep pure and clean the nation of Israel. And so that purging of wickedness. Listen, I'm not saying today we... Uh, don't quote me as saying, well, Pastor Shane said we should go kill all the, uh, the opposing people. No, that's not what I'm saying. We don't live in Israel. And uh, God has not ordained that for, for us. But I will tell you this, our softness on sin is a problem. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying we should go violently. I'm saying our softness on our own sin is a problem in our life. And there was a softness in Israel that said, well, you know, we'll just let those things slide. Yeah, well, that'll be okay. We'll just let that slide. Listen, it's, you give sin an inch, you give the devil an inch, he'll take 100 miles. He, he's not content with one inch in our life. He's not content with just a little bit, one millimeter. He wants a lot. The nation of Israel had let it slide and let it slide and look at the huge problem 450 prophets of Baal in Israel? Seven, only 7,000 people that had not bowed the knee to Baal in Israel out of millions? What a huge problem had arisen in the nation of Israel. And God said, hey, I want this purged. This has got to go. Our nation has got to be cleaned up. And listen, God is a holy God, a just God, a God that says, hey, we have got to be clear on what sin is, and we've got to purge it uh, out, in God said, out of our land and out of our people. And so we, in our life today, hey, we've got to be careful of sin. We better purge it out of our life. We've got to get rid of it out of our life and prioritize God. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for your word. What an, what an incredible competition. That, you, that God really you set forth, you put in Elijah's heart and mind and clearly gave him instruction to do that. And God, what a marvelous way to reveal yourself to the nation of Israel. God, I'm thankful, I'm grateful that we have it contained and recorded in the Word of God. We can go back and we can read about it. We can say, wow, you are truly an amazing God. You are truly a great God. And God, may we take the lessons that can so clearly be seen from these passages. 
and apply them to our lives. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. You're always welcome to kneel at the altar and pray. Communicate with God. Sometimes we think, well, the altar is for sin. No, listen, the altar is for thanksgiving. The altar is for praise. The altar is also for confession and sin offering. Yes, that's true. But the altar is for communion and communication with God.